Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey folks, Oliver here. This week I interview San Kim, CEO and founder of Swing Scooters, who are the largest operator in South Korea. I loved this episode. It is so rare to kind of be shocked in some ways with finding new sharing companies. And this is one of these examples where I kind of had my mind blown a little bit, uh, just understanding a little bit about how the South Korean market is regulated and operated and also how much they've grown in uh, in that constrained space i think you'll find this a very interesting episode sharing is not yet dead but in the process of building a really interesting and compelling business going forward i really enjoyed this conversation and i hope you do too and here is san let's go and welcome back to micro mobility we have with us today san kim from swing scooters how are you going today san hey uh thanks for inviting me uh I'm doing good. How about you, Oliver? Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm, I'm doing very well. We, we just had a new addition to the family. My sister just had a baby, which is very exciting. So life is good. I can't I can't complain. But look, I'm, I'm very excited to uh, have you on, mainly because, you know, I, I think South Korea is one of these markets that I think has been relatively undercovered uh, in this space. And I think you recognize that too when, uh, when we had our first conversation that like, you know, I think a lot of companies have operated in silos around the world of, of like what different markets are like. But I, I, yeah, I just think you've got so, such an interesting and diverse take on, on the space that uh, I'm very excited to, to, to be able to unpack that with you. Okay. Thanks, Oliver. I mean, uh, first of all, congratulations. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kids, kids are angels. Yeah. We just forgot uh, that we used to be angels. Uh, but anyway, uh, congratulations, first of thank all. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, um, Last week, I had a dinner with a, a GM of sharing business at Ninebot, and he gave me all the details, like overview, big overview. Like, uh, and I was very surprised that Korea, uh, f- uh, for them, I think Korea like itself, not Asia, not North Asia, but South Korea is the third biggest market after Europe and America. Wow. American continent, then Korea. So, And I, I was the second biggest customer this year to Ninebot. I was very surprised. Number one was tier. So like, really, really, Korea only. So, so, and it's still very undercover, just like you said. I totally agree with you. Yeah, totally. Well, and and I'm, that's part of the reason I've been so excited to, to be able to unpack this with you. So, hey, tell us a bit about yourself. How, what was your background? Well, like, how did you end up doing this in the first place? Oh, uh, my career. So it's, it includes some car company, a car manufacturing company, and a little bit of consulting and also uh, some venture capital work. So... Uh, after my MBA in Seattle in 2014, I joined a Renault Nissan Alliance. Uh, my first job was to sell my battery company, uh, the Nissan's battery company. Uh, and then with that money, I was relocated to a first uh, team of a uh, first five member, fifth member of Renault Nissan Alliance mobility team. So my job back then was to uh, find a new mobility partner in car sharing space and in, in robot taxi uh, space as well. So my first uh, project, it wasn't done by me, but I was part of the team uh, in, in, in Renault side in France. So actually the Renault people, they, they launched a car sharing service uh, trying to benchmark on what BMW and, and Daimler did 
Which yeah, what was that one called again? The Renault one. A Renault was this RCI Bank. RCI Bank. The the they they started only forty uh, car sharing. You cannot even find it. It's it's all when. Oh yeah. Okay. We all failed. <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, uh, we used uh, electric cars. We we start we did some community sharing as well. Uh, it was uh, done by Carlos Gone. We all fa- which all failed. Uh, not to mention uh, our BMW and Daimler failed too. Yes. And then uh, we just quickly concluded. Uh, we mean Carlos Gone. We helped Carl- Carlos Gone uh, quickly make decision. Hey, car sharing is not the right way uh, for mobility. Yeah, service. interesting. So interesting. the next one was hey. Uh, Let's jump on to robot taxi. It was, so I guess, it's 2016. So at that time, uh, we were. Uh, so I was part of. So I, I, I was very lucky to try all the autonomous car of UATG, and also Waymo, yep. and, and some Otomo, and all the all those players in, in the states. And and we were. I was part of the team. At, I was leading the projects, uh, MO, making MOU with those companies uh, for Renault Nissan. And then after that, I joined the BCG, uh, tr- uh, trying. Uh, so there are many Korean companies, LG, Samsung, and Hyundai cars, of course, are trying to do the very similar thing that uh, Renault Nissan was trying, uh, which was also uh, be done by, uh, was done like uh, three years earlier than uh, than Renault Nissan, BMW, and Daimler. So basically, I was an, I was a car guy uh, looking at mobility side, and then I moved to SoftBank Ventures Asia to to make an investment in early stage mobility service companies. Uh, 2018. So 2018, it's like so. Back then, all SoftBank they, they were investing in like all the mobile service platforms. So it's like uh, as a small subsidiary of, of uh, uh, early stage funding, uh, SoftBank Ventures Asia, based in Seoul. Uh, we were. I was hired. I was hired to find the mobile service uh, Series A, Series B side type, type of company. I joined there for like just seven or eight months, and I, I started my own company uh, instead of uh, funding a, a, a micro mobile service. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. Awesome. Awesome. Look, I, I figure let's let's start with that context, right? So you're second largest customer to Ninebot for one. That's great. But what does that mean in terms of like on the ground, number of scooters, number of like cities that you're in? And and, and, and actually, if, it would be great if we start out like, where did you start with this thing? Like, when did you actually kick this off and, and where have you grown to? Yeah, as you're already very familiar with it, this is this had this uh, scooter thing was happening at the same time, like 2000, late 2018 or 2019. I was a latecomer. I was a fourth player uh, to start my business, uh, the same business, the e-scooter sharing business in Korea in 2019, uh, roughly April or May. At that time, I, I launched my service in Seoul. And back then, there were already f- like three, and I was fourth. Yeah. And it grew up to more than 20. It was like, <laughs> it was a total mass in Korea, just like, you know, just like other uh, in other countries uh, uh, in the first place. But things were different uh, from uh, in Korea, uh, uh, if you compare it to other countries, where there are a lot of, uh, most countries, they have cap licenses. Yes. But in South Korea, we still don't have. So we we didn't we didn't have the sky and we didn't have the roof so sky was the limit mm. and we grew uh, very rapidly we means not just me but all the the country itself so as of now there are more than 200,000 scooters running in a place uh, this at the size of uh, i don't know like uh, 140th of us i would say yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. one third of france and and what because the total population of south korea is how many people like 50 to 60 million 
And and then in Seoul itself, Seoul, uh, uh, tier one city. Uh, most uh, half uh, half of them are living in tier one city in Seoul and Busan. Yeah. Okay. Right. And and so my my sense is that that is uh, like a far higher density per. In some ways, I think that's such an interesting model, right? Because like, we've had this weird thing happen with regulations inside, I think, Western cities, which is these things have been viewed, especially in the shared sense, they've been viewed as like, oh, they're like a bike share rather than like, they're like a um, taxi service, right? And and we don't necessarily in most cities limit the number of taxis. What we do is we just say, you know, we'll let the market sort it out if there are enough taxis on you know, we have deregulated market in a lot of places around the world for, for taxi medallions or not even taxi medallions, just open, you know, however many people are going to drive a taxi. So can you take me through in somewhere like Seoul or in general, if you were to take the population density, do you know what those numbers would look like? What's the per capita number of scooters in South Korea relative to other places? Or maybe do we need to do the math on the fly? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, let's say, let's assume we have 200,000. Scooters, and then we just divide it. Like, There's one per three hundred people, or so. Yeah, it's uh, it's roughly two hundred fifty. Yes. So it's not very high, and we still have some room, have more some rooms. It's I, I yeah, I agree with you. I think you know, uh, in some cities they cap it as like a hundred scooters, a uh, hundred people per per scooter, or even five hundred people per scooter. I think two hundred fifty is a good number, and I think we still have room, uh, more room uh, to grow because I feel it. I feel more demand than supply. So yeah, uh, we cannot just justify the the figures. That's uh, I would say it's the maybe the the governments would love to. Uh, we always need to see the demand, and I see more demands uh, definitely. I see st- st- I hear complaints still uh, from customer. Hey, uh, there are not enough scooters. We need more than that. More. more. Totally, totally. Well, I mean, one to two hundred and fifty, and you're still like. You, you, that's what the market is at the moment like re- responding to in terms of demand i'm just trying to think so for example in san francisco i think it's one to two so it's got about two thousand scooters per uh, or actually even less than that uh, i think there's like about two thousand scooters approximately for a population of about eight hundred thousand in the city itself um so look to somewhere like auckland new zealand um, we have 1.6 a million in, a, in in the city of Auckland, and that is t- caps out at about two thousand scooters. So it's again like one to eight hundred, or one to you know. Wow. Effectively, you know, it's like if, if, if we if we go and do the math right, it like ends up being you just what what is the actual upside? Like, what is the total level of saturation that we in theory could get to? And I just think South Korea is a really interesting example of what that could start to look like. Right? Why was it? that South Korea decided to not go with caps. And and, and and by the way, is it caps on like total operators or caps on scooters? No, like or are there no caps on either? Neither of them uh, has any wow. cap. So let me let me br- br- uh, briefly share a regulatory uh, environment here in Korea. So yeah, sure. Uh, I think there are two types of regulation. One is in user side, two is operator side. I think globally, all the governments and municipalities, they, f- uh, they heavily focus on the operator side. But, you know, since South Korea, we're technically in a war with uh, North Koreans, uh, com- yes. communist, communist country. So we don't want to like explicitly control the market because, you know, we feel really, uh, you know, paranoid about uh, controlling the economy. Actually, we are doing, uh, we are controlling the, <laughs> the market, but, you know, we don't want to do it explicitly. So 
uh, our government and municipality chose to control the user side. So, which means uh, make it difficult for users to uh, to ride the scooters. So, instead of having a cap on the on the operators, which uh, the government feels really burdened. I mean, I would say the regulators and the government feels uh, so much burdened to do something very explicitly. Hey, you, you, you can do. You can do up to how many? So, this is very. Uh, I would say politically difficult decision for the municipalities and government to do so because of you know ironically uh, this this situation. So they inst- instead uh, we are I would say one of uh, maybe only one of very few like maybe one of couple or, or three countries where uh, we need the uh, driver's license and helmets uh, uh, to ride uh, electric scooters as a mandatory. Uh, if you don't uh, wear helmets, you get fined. So that's very. Um, I would say one uh, extreme regulation for user sites, but uh, we don't have any uh, operator sites of uh, uh, regulation. Totally, and 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 like you're limiting the 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 users and how? What's the percentage of drivers like of um of folks who have driver's licenses in South Korea? Like, is it a, it is a high quite a high proportion of the population? Yeah, because it's a very car-centric country. So yep. the first, it's like U.S. You know, if you uh, if you if you go to university or if you become uh, eligible uh, to get a license, the first thing you do is go to go to an academy, driver's academy. Yes, I see. Okay, so you've got to what eighty percent? Would you say of of folks? Uh, yeah. Uh, so like, uh, let me let me Google it. So we have yeah, almost half. Almost half. Okay, right. Yeah. Of the entire population. Entire populations. Right. Yeah. So almost half of them. It's it's first time for me to, to look for, look at it, but it's it's very high. Yes. But it but it's already curbed the usage of uh like you know when when you want to ride the scooters you know you just want to hop on right mm-hmm. uh, you uh, QR scan the QR code uh, and then you want to go uh, but there are like too many hurdles uh, in, in to register you have to you know register your payment your ID and also uh, it takes time to actually verify whether your driver's license is valid or not so it really uh, curbed the use. And what's the like because I assume you lose people in that funnel right like the number of people who start and then they just decide it's like they get to that point and then just say, oh, I don't want to do it or whatever. And for a lot of folks as well, like they might not have access to a driver's license in the sense that they might not have been able to, because I assume it's expensive to go and get a driver's license yes. uh, in the first instance, right? So it's, it's interesting again. So I'm, I'm, it's really embarrassing to to share uh, what happens in terms of regulations uh, here in Korea because it went back and forth. Uh, so for example, in 2019, uh, everybody was, oh, wow, the scooter thing is coming. Micromobility is the future of a smart city. So we should really be regulated. So Actually, deregulation happened in Korea. So in the beginning, it was categorized as motorcycle, just like other countries uh, used to. So it was motorcycle, where, which means that you have to ride on the roads and you have to wear helmets. You need a driver's license. That's uh, how the regulation looked like. And all of a sudden, after a year, the government decided to, uh, regulators decided to, hey, you don't need a driver's license. It's a bicycle. It's a new bicycle. So you can ride on bicycle bike, bike lane. You don't need a driver's license. As long as you're older than 14-year-old, you can ride it. So it continued for like six months or seven months, and suddenly, so uh, you know, the press uh, went really negative uh, against the scooter scooter market, and the regulators started to think, "Hey, I think we need some regulation." And you know, just like I shared with you before, but uh, having a license or or cap that's uh, something burden, uh, too much burden for the polit- politicians. So they instead, oh, this is too uh, dangerous so dangerous that we need uh, more, I would say, protection uh, from the user side. So they, they they came back, they went back to the past 
where you need a driver's license and a helmet, just like you do you need for motorcycle. So, but it, what it happened is for that period, like six months or seven months of you know free. I would say free period, uh, free from driver's license and helmets. We got so much uh, registration, and then they became so used to uh, riding scooters. And every day, like there were like new registration of ten thousand people every day. So it was, it was it was awesome. But nowadays, right after that new regulation, so the regulation going back, going to uh, going back to uh, to the past, that regulation hit us so severely that the new registration went down to roughly one thousand or two thousand per day. So it went down by, I don't know, 80%, right? 90%. Wow. So, wow. But our user base got, uh, I would say, uh, some strong. So if you com- if you think about, like, we currently have roughly 12, 220, 240,000 uh, rides every day. And uh, half of it coming from the users who has more than, uh, whose accumulated number of rides are more than uh, 50. So it's like... Oh, right. So there, for some po- folks, it's like, this is their way of getting around in a city and like, they're not going to... Yeah. So, so for those folks, it, it sounds like, are they using it for commute? Like, is it like integrated into their commute first last mile all that sort of stuff yeah the peak time is uh, from 8 to 9 Mm a.m and the second peak is uh, actually after the dinner so we have this uh, something called you know company dinner or like you hang out with your friends uh, so after between 9 to 11 p.m that's the second peak so i would say uh, number one is commute for it. I think it's uh, it fills up the last mile. I think uh, in the morning, so that's the highest uh, demand in the morning. And at nighttime, you actually uh, it's it's an alternative to a taxi. Yes, because it's really hard to get a taxi uh, in Korea. Because you know Korea, Japan, we're one of few countries where Uber model is is not working. Yes, I know you've got a, a very very restricted uh, taxi model. <laughs> I have a lot of friends who who ended up working in uh, Japan and South Korea trying to make Uber work, and it was a uh, it's been a battle it's been a battle (laughs) and so uh, you know like in the model that you have in south korea like do you typically just charge a standard rate on all rides or have you got like subscription models or clubs or other things as well that allow for pricing that allows for like lock-in yeah that's a first of all in terms of pricing uh we are the we are charging the highest price as we have the most market share and which the highest pricing is actually the same level of the U.S. Uh, before this financial shock these days. The currency rate is crazy, but uh, if you adopt the like classic currency rate, we're exactly uh, having the same, we exactly have the same uh, pricing level, which is $1 to unlock and $0.15 cents to uh, per minute. So which is, very, that's very standard, I would say. But instead, what we, uh, what we adopted is, uh, unlock free uh, systems. Uh, so if you uh, subscribe for one month, uh, you pay only ten dollars to get the uh, unlock free for an unlimited un- unlimited unlock free uh, yes. for a month. Yep, yep, yep. But that's very pretty standard. It's, it's I would say it's very similar to what's ha- uh, what, what's happening uh, in other part of the world. Yeah, I, I would say so as well. Cool. So so take me through the the folks who are uh, in the South Korean market. So I know that you're the largest and you've you've got 70,000 uh, scooters or so on, on, on the road. But who are the second and third largest players? And, and then like, what's the tail size? What's the size of the tail uh, in terms of folks who are, who, well, like the other smaller players? Because I know that there's a huge number of them, right? Yeah. They're not small, actually. I thought they were small, small because they were smaller than us. But you know, now that I you know met you and talk, have some discussion with the global folks. Oh wow, we're big. Yeah. Uh, our, our second largest uh, is uh, another local player called G Bank. Uh, they are operating roughly 
Uh, they have 40,000 uh, on the road. I don't know how many they have in the warehouse, but anyway, I, I can see from the, their app is roughly 40,000. And then their third player is a is a kind of local player called Beam Mobility. Yes. So they do have uh, thirty thousand on the road uh, in Korea right now. I, I heard that says sixty percent of their fleets are uh, more than sixty, and used to be like eighty uh, percent of their total fleets uh, were in Korea, South Korea. So basically, uh, we think of Beam as a kind of local player because they have, they have been here for a very long time. Yes. And the fourth, fourth, and fifth are another locals uh, who are uh, running roughly twenty thousand each which is also pretty and a substantial amount of uh, scooters, a uh, very local one. And the sixth, uh, other ones, uh, yeah, we have Bird, and Bird is pretty small. They operate roughly 6,000 and 7,000 in Korea, and there are a long tail of uh, more than uh, six startups operating less than uh, 10,000 scooters. So, so Lime isn't in the market at all? Oh, Lime was here. So they used to be uh, our second player, uh, but due to some reasons, so you know, everybody knows that they are running, uh, they're chasing for profitability. So mm-hmm. they, they really pulled out in a market uh, where you know where actually where they actually can make money uh, on a scooter basis, but not making money. I heard uh, on a EBIT perspective. Yep. So they they out they're out. Uh, they pulled out uh, roughly a uh, half year ago. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And 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 like so one of the things the, the reason you and I even got introduced is because through through a friend of ours called Prabhan and Prabhan mentioned that you know he was very surprised that you are profitable. You know, that like the South Korean model for shared is profitable and that, you know, it's obviously worth uh, you and I chatting. And and I think that was certainly where I got my mind blown as we were talking through this. But take me through the business. So you've 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 got 70,000 scooters, ballpark number of rides per day and then how and and then what the level of profitability is that you have at the moment. Yeah. So. There are three things uh, that, that, that make difference. Uh, maybe I should share with the result first. So currently, we have more than uh, 70,000 scooters on the road, uh, if, uh, and we have imported roughly more than 85 or 90 now. Uh, uh, most uh, Half of them are running in Tier 1 city uh, called Seoul, Busan, and half of them are running outside of those, uh, those two cities, Tier 2 and Tier 3. And Tier 1 cities are operated directly from us, so it, which means I hire people, I pay them salary, so it's not like we do a gig model. So it's all internalized our ops team. And the other half is operated by the franchisees. Uh, this is an interesting point that uh, you should spot out. So uh, we uh, adopted the franchise model, uh, which is very unique in Korea and Japan. Everybody knows what franchise is, but that uh, franchise is kind of rule for uh, rule to start a new business in Korea and in Japan. Because uh, if you walk around the city, uh, if you look at 10 shops, uh, out of 10 shops, maybe eight or nine shops are franchise. So like when people think of, you know, hey, I want to start my own business with maybe 100000 or $200,000, uh, they don't really make something new. They always ask, you know, look for franchise. Uh, partners, so we just adopted it in bis- uh, in in scooter business. So we uh, we sell our scooters to uh, franchisee partners, and then they they buy it at their cost, and they operate, meaning they maintain, they charge, they fix, uh, they relocate the scooters by themselves, uh, while using our software, paying twenty percent of royalty. So that's kind of the fr- business model where we could really optimize on. It could happen. For many reasons. First of all, there were demand for franchise business. Uh, they really want to do this business under Swing's brand. Then they just want to pay royalty uh, because they don't want to develop software. They don't want to do customer center. They don't want to, you know, make a new insurance program. You know, you know, 
making contracts with the yeah all the other things yeah yeah all of the other things and and do you help with government relations as well like is that part of it yes also so they, their job is basically purchasing and maintaining the scooters that's all so that's something very similar to bird uh, operating model yes except for the fact that our our franchise model they they pay upfront uh, at margin right so uh, we don't give them finance uh, directly but we help uh, we support them getting some finance from uh, by making contract uh, uh, with a third party. So we have some finance financing partner who do the rental service program for uh, for those franchising model. But that doesn't impact our balance sheet because we don't want to hold all these uh, receivables from the franchisees. So that's I think uh, it it brought me like two. Uh, maybe three, two or three benefits. Number one, we could uh, increase our fleets uh, at their money. So like we are the least funded company uh, among top 10 uh, micromobility service companies in the world. Mm-hmm. So we were fun- we, uh, we raised only 40, uh, 30, 33 million USD yep. uh, uh, in equity. Uh, in debt, uh, roughly the same amount, asset financing, roughly the same amount, uh, but that's still like, less than 60, uh, six, uh, uh, roughly 65, yes. 60 to 60 million uh, USD in total. Uh, the others are funded by those franchises. Number one, so uh, we could increase our uh, efficiency of our capital equity, I would say, number one. Uh, and number two was optimization of operations. It's uh, like I said, you know, second uh, tier two, tier three cities are very far, relatively far. Maybe you might laugh at it. Uh, maybe the the U.S. people or European people would laugh at it. Uh, and <laughs> still, I would say uh, Seoul and the, from the distance between Seoul and all the rural areas are uh, roughly 100k kilometers or 50 kilometers. I, I, I would say even the 50 kilometers are far in, is, is far enough to uh, operate efficiently because I don't know the market. Our team doesn't know the market. Even though I hire someone, it's really difficult to monitor. So, we, uh, But franchise model really incentivized them because they put their own money, uh, really work hard. Uh, to be really uh, uh, optimize the operations and and second of all they they know the market uh, better than us like they know where to put the scooters uh, from the very beginning because they are born and raised there yes so that that's uh, from first of all uh, friend, uh, fundraising part secondly it's a uh, operation part and third we both could make money so we made money in the beginning by selling the scooters and we made money by uh, receiving the royalty. But do they uh, do they really make money after paying all these margins to us? Yes, they do. Well, this was going to be my exact question there, Sam. <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, we, were, we were lucky, I would say, because we didn't know. They, uh, we designed a way that we uh, the franchise, HQ and franchises, uh, make the same profits uh, so that we can grow together. Uh, they could make money because it's really astonishing that they their their utilization rate uh, rev per scooter is almost double of the one that we earn in tier one city so so one uh, very interesting fact about korea is actually the urbanization rate is the third third highest in the world yes number one is hong kong or singapore number one and two is hong kong singapore basically they're it's city and and it's politically wrong to say that hong kong is a as uh, a country but anyway it used to be a city and yes. a city and con- a country yeah and third highest is korea and i think fourth or fifth is japan so if you go to a rural area where their their main industry is farming the roads are so clean it's all covered with the very nice roads and the people live in apartments Interestingly, in a very large land, it's like uh, you're living in an apartment in Texas. So uh, if you go to rural area, it's all farms, but uh, all of a sudden there's a huge complex of apartments. They live there and they go 
when they go to work, uh, they have to go uh, to travel roughly one or three kilometers, and they're they're not in a, a mass public. So like they have to wait 30 minutes to, for the next bus or something like that. So the scooter utilization is very high in tier two or tier three cities. So they can make double of what we make here. Uh, so after paying all the margin to us, they are still making actually more money to us uh, than us. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And so it's about half of your scooters or so would be in these tier two or tier three cities, you'd say? Yep. Ballpark? Yep, yep. Yeah, amazing. And then with those cities, are they they also operate in the same regulatory model. So no caps, no like, but oftentimes they are, I assume, probably less competition out in those areas. Oh, yeah, so there are competition. There are a lot of companies uh, working there. So for our second largest uh, player in Korea, they, they started from rural areas. They learned uh, earlier than us uh, that the second or third tier cities are more profitable. So they, they operated by themselves uh, from those smaller cities. There are a lot of competition out there. It's not just, competition is still strong, but demand is stronger than the competition, I would say. Uh, so yeah, that's that, that's all I can say. It's, it's, it's very surprising. And because there are all the negatives, uh, negative uh, factors in tier, tier three cities, like, you know, it's very old cities basically. Yes. So not, not many young people live there. And people are relatively less rich, I would say, uh, not poor, but uh, than, than the tier one cities. Uh, still, people use it. I think the, the biggest factor out of, you know, population, uh, uh, demographics, uh, GDP per capita, I think the largest factor of uh, that, that impact to our industry, that impact our industry is actually the alternative, which is uh, transportation. So I see more opportunity in the countries where there are not enough, uh, you know, uh, public transportations for a micromobility service. I, I think we can really fill that up. But I'm really curious as to why, if they're taking this every day, why they wouldn't just buy their own scooter or, or get a scooter on subscription or something like that. Is that an option or is it not really been uh, something that's been explored? That's a very good question. So it's very interesting that, you know, like I just shared previously, Ninebot Jihan was, was, was very uh, half happy, half very sad that in Korean markets, shared uh, nine-bot uh, scooters are selling very well, like unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. But like private ownership model, so it almost went down to like 10% or 20% of its original uh, because of the sharing model. So it's, uh, I don't know how to explain this, but I think, you know, we are living in a very small country, uh, meaning we're living in a very small house, meaning it's really you know, there's no place to charge our scooters. So people really think it, uh, the, the, the burden, you know, they really don't want to do it. And so that they, they just want to uh, want things that are already charged uh, by, by others. I think uh, electrification is, is a big opportunity uh, for, our, for a very dense city where people don't want to charge, don't have places to charge their own mobility devices so that the operators uh, who charge and maintain those mobile devices, uh, their value, uh, their their role would be very big. Uh, so I think the micromobility service is one of these examples that uh, you know, even though it's easy to charge, uh, it seems easier uh, than, than charging a car, but they opt to, they choose to, you know, uh, pay premium for the scooters that's already charged and maintained by somebody else.
Yeah, I hear you. And I mean, I, I think there's also, there's an element of it, which is that, that one of the things that I've, I've found with, for example, the Segway 9-bot scooters that I, I had one of these at one point uh, that was my own and it just was a pain. Like I had a, a burst tire at one point and like to go and fix that myself or to get it fixed or whatever is, is, is like, if you don't have requisite uh, infrastructure and ecosystem set up to be able to handle all of that stuff, you just sort of like, especially if you don't have unlock fees, your trade-off is just going to be like 15 cents a minute. It just feels very cheap, especially if the ride's only like five or 10 minutes uh, a day. So I'm curious to see how that evolves. I do think over time, these things will evolve more towards that, like shared will eventually shift to more subscription-based models and, and others. But I think that's also a, a time thing, you know, like a general question. Hey, look, I want to ask a bit more about that the funding, because I think that's so interesting, you know, to, the, the, you, you are, I think, as far as I can tell, one of the most capital efficient in terms of having 70,000 scooters on the road for only 35 million US in, in equity funding, debt funding, I understand, uh, obviously on, t- on top of that, but there aren't that many other operators around the world. And if you look at, for example, like TIA, TIA raised upwards of 400 million. A lot of the European places have, have also raised several hundred million each. And their fleet sizes, uh, I know TIA is probably quite a bit higher than you, but uh, certainly a lot of the other sort of second tier players in Europe would be about the same size as you, but with obviously like a lot higher cap rates. How did you do that <laughs> is, probably the, is, is probably the first question. And then two, what does that afford you in terms of the, the, the way that you're building your business? Okay. So one thing you should know about Korean or Japan, North Asian market, uh, it's different from European or, or, or US market where the financial markets are pretty mature. So especially for the venture capital. So uh, Korea, uh, we don't have enough venture capital to support the, this very large CapEx business. So we don't have a very big mobility service companies. So I, I, I'm, I'm not generalizing it too much, but mobility service is a sector where you need a lot of investments than, uh, in venture capital. And we didn't have this venture capital, in, uh, enough number of venture capital uh, in terms of money and in terms of number of comp- uh, venture capital companies. So I, my background, just to share a bit of my background, I used to work at SoftBank Ventures Asia. Uh, focusing on series. Oh wow! Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, focusing on series A and B uh, and mobility service. Um, and I learned that you know I learned this fact. Hey, uh, if I want to build a mobility service company here in Korea or in Japan, uh, you have to fight against two things. Number one is high regulations. I mean, regulators don't care about the life of people, uh, how how they move, how move. So it's more like they they care about. Uh, the the rights of taxi companies. So that's number one. And number two is like, I I would never be able to raise hundreds of millions of dollars just like uh, my my other peers would do uh, outside of uh, these North Asian markets. So I decided myself from the very beginning, I need to be very positive and you need economics, I would say. Uh, so you know, we worked at, uh, in, a, in a way, uh, first of all, like I would say I would like to praise myself to become po- unit, uh, is economics positive, first of all. That was uh, possible uh, thanks to uh, mainly the factor that the, there is no vandalism in Korea, I would say. So our scooters ran most. Uh, in the beginning, I thought just, no, my scooter would also run only three or six months, just like, you know, I referred to the global figures, right? But after three months, six months, it's still there. Uh, 12 months, it's there, still there. So I think uh, as of now, we assume that uh, the scooters uh, would, would run 36 months, like 90%, more than 90% of our scooters will survive 36 months. So that's really amazing. And that really helped me uh, to become uh, unit economics positive, number one. And after uh, making unit economics positive, we started to, uh, we could do two things, uh, leverage on my 
capital. So I have very small equity and I need to find a way to leverage it. Uh, number one leverage is operational leverage, which is, I would say, a franchise model. So we used other business to put their own money. Uh, I, I just name it, termed it as a operational leverage. And second leverage... Yeah, no, but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The second leverage is uh, to uh, is really debt financing. Uh, first thing, what I what I did after I, we made uh, positive unit economics on, uh, on month four, I went to uh, high net worth individuals. Hey, I think this is a very good way to make money. Give me, give me, give me like uh, one million. Uh, I can pay you fifteen percent uh, theoretically uh, of interest rate, and still I can make money. And I proved that for the next twelve months. And you know, I, our business grew up to the level of maybe five thousand or six thousand. Then we started to generate positive EBIT. I mean, not EBITDA, but EBIT. So it, it really caught attention from like financing leasing companies. Uh, so they started to uh, provide the debt funding to us. And not to mention the equity players. Oh, this is a place where we need to uh, put money on. So basically, you know, with a small capital, I, I used two leverage. One is operational, two is financial leverage. Uh, that's what I can do, uh, what I can explain. And that all started from the unit economics. And unit economics is basically explained by the, you know, uh, nice people here in Korea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. That's, that's really, uh, really fascinating. And, and so just so I understand as well, like your general overheads are not uh, like, do you develop your own app? Do you have, um, you, did you go out and like just buy existing off the shelf hardware and, uh, so, you know, software and all that sort of stuff, or, you know, how much of your stuff is proprietary? How much of your own is, did you have to develop it yourself? That's something I learned from, uh, by, by you and Prabhan, uh, while discussing, uh, and also, I, I met other players outside of Korea these days to to look for global expansion. And uh, I just learned that wow, it's surprisingly it's surprising to see my peers are they have like few hundreds of people in HQ. So what do you do with them? So so, so <laughs> we have uh, except for the customer center, I think we have uh, less than forty people in HQ. Wow, so it's shockingly low, right? But for me, uh, it's the opposite. It's the other way around. It's shockingly high. Like, why do you need 300 and 400 people to run the scooter business? It's like, yeah, maybe you need uh, if you wanted to become a manufacturer as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to. Uh, so if you if you think about a nine bot, so the biggest manufacturer of micro e-mobility, they have 200 people, R&D people. And they have maybe the C, I don't have a number, just guess, like the same number of people who do the sales. So 400 people is enough to make and sell. And why do you need 400 people to just buy them, their products, and, you know, maintain it? So having 400 people and an HQ, I'm not criticizing at all. Just I'm just uh, trying to explain uh, my focus. Mm. So... Uh, I think my peers, uh, all, I respect them. I try to copy paste them in, in some some ways, and I try to uh, uh, copy paste is not a good word. Benchmark, uh, I like the <laughs> benchmark on the great companies. Uh, you know, Tier, Bird, Lime, they're all my inspirations. I always read their articles, but still, one thing I'm, I was really uh, wondering is that why do we need to build our own hardware? Because uh, we were operators. And I was working for I was working at Renault and Nissan, and the biggest reason why Renault, Nissan, or Daimler, or, or, or BMW failed at sharing business is because they want to use their own hardware. So this, for me, 
uh, intuitively building my own hardware or investing in. Oh, you mean in terms of the like the car sharing? You mean? Yeah, in terms of car sharing, they all failed in car sharing. Right. So uh, basically, we're doing the same thing. We buy things and to uh, put it on the roads and let people use it uh, through their app, right? Mm-hmm. I think you know we, we we've been there in car sharing. Uh, manu- manufacturing and sharing business should not be in one place. Uh, first of all, it costs a lot of money to make things. It's not easy. I mean, I learned the hard way. I mean, Uber also learned the hard way. You know, they put they wasted a lot of money in building their own autonomous car. And from business point of view, it doesn't make any sense for an operator to build their own hardware. So first of all, let's say you, you made a very good product. Can you sell it to your competitors? No, because, you know, uh, you cannot sell something that you made to their competitor. Number two, if you, if you fail, if your product is second best or third best, you're going to throw that away. No, you have to use it, even though you know it's second best or third best. So it's a, it's not a good idea. Not a good idea. But maybe it's a good idea if there are not enough uh, manufacturers or there's not the quality is not good enough. Uh, but from my understanding, maybe uh, I was uh, was lucky because we have a very good, nice people here in Korea. I think you know even the Xiaomi, uh, the the very early version. Uh, I saw that model can exist for 24 months. So okay, why do I want more? So we didn't feel the need to develop a more uh, stronger and stable model. I think my global peers, they, they might have felt, hey, you know, these personal scooters, uh, like a, a ownership model cannot work. We need to develop our own. So they put a lot of money into developing own, uh, their own hardware and people who, who need to work with the Chinese players as well. But in, in our case, According to Ninebot, there are 40 people at Spin who's who's discussing with Ninebots. There are more than 60 people in Tier uh, who's uh, working with Ninebot, uh, and there is only one people working with Ninebot. So our purchasing team is basically one people, one person. So why do you need one more, more, more than one when you just what what you do is just to? Well, I don't know. I, this is a, this is a very interesting question. Um, do you think that that's a legacy of just having had too much money, like too much VC money, flood into the space? Or is it a, you know, would you, could you do more if you had, tw- say, say, for example, five or 10 people in that space? Like, what would you, what would you do with them? No, I deliberately uh, stopped hiring when I have enough person because, because it's, it's kind of human. We're a human being. If we have, if we have money, we want to spend it. You know, if you, if you want more people, you, you have to, you know, you know, use their, their, those employees to do something, you know, meaningful to, to cover their salaries, right? I think that should not be the reason why you do you start doing something. I mean, when you have to do something, you need to think uh, strategically. Uh, you know, strategically, it's a it's it means nothing. I mean, strategically means whether you really need to do it. I mean, I, I so it's like okay, it's uh, we, I don't we're frugal. I mean, because we are not you know uh, heavily funded, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. I would say, unfortunately, I wanted to do something, uh, something like that too. Unfortunately, we didn't have uh, money and people uh, to develop our own hardware, and secondly, we didn't have uh, luxury to hire a you know data scientist, you know, you know all this automation and uh, an AI uh, drawing a map, that kind of thing, which my global peers are doing. I know the impact of that. I, mean, I understand. I, we did the benchmark study that you know we had the lime here in Korea. So with the same price, with the same hardware, they make roughly twenty or thirty percent more revenue per scooter. Uh, that's yeah, that's a big difference, right? They uh, same money, same scooter because of their advanced system. Uh, 
that they could they could make 30% more uh, revenue out of uh, one scooter. But strategically, uh, we didn't have resources and we need to find a focus. Uh, whether we're going to spend, uh, let's say, $2 million to hire uh, you know, that AI uh, scientist or data scientist or AI engineers, or uh, do we just buy more scooters to have more density there and optimize our operations? And, and that time point of timing, I chose, okay, 20%, 30%, that's good, but I want to grow double or triple uh, right now. Once I reach 100,000 scooters, then I will start working on optimizing uh, the revenue of our scooters. I think this is how we think. When you're poor, you need to choose, uh, you need to, the, the choose the, the field to fight against. But when you have... So- the, the the argument the, the alternative argument to that is like go go spend money on on stuff when it's inefficient you know when it's inefficient uh, spending if if you if for example you can work out a way to optimize you know placement of scooters and how to like you know uh, really uh, extract the most value out of that out of the like the uh, the existing fleet that you already have like that feels to me like the way that I'd go and spend the money rather than necessarily going and putting more scooters on the road to make you know deploy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's also very true. It's also true if you have enough money. I think I would, if I had money, I would definitely do that too. I really want I to. I do believe that uh, automation, like where to put the scooters, uh, when and where to put the scooters, those are the decisions that I could do uh, uh, that I can make. Right. But and yes, do you? Because I mean, have you heard of like groups like Zoba? Uh, or or some of these other like uh, optimization hardware like there are there are companies out there that do optimization um, via software for, for this as a service. Wow, that, that you don't necessarily need to buy that uh, internally. That would be really great. You know, I didn't know that. So that's so, so so yeah. I used. To, oh mate, they're gonna have a field day with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's work. Let's work together. Yeah, yeah. Like, please, uh, please put me in touch with them. So oh, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I think it's, it's the right timing. But uh, if you think about a year ago too. Uh, in our case, we, uh, a year ago, we used to have only like 20,000 scooters. Yep. And two years ago, we have 6,000, right? Right. And that's not the time where we optimize our, our like deployment, our relocation. No. Well, it's but it's amazing that you get you know it's amazing that you're even uh, you're able to grow and still remain profitable even in within that right like it's a very forgiving market if that's the case that you're able to deploy. No, 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 that's the point. I mean, in mobility service and logistics, you don't need uh, optimization in the beginning. You don't need a very good software. You need the right people and organization. You know, it's like delivery. Like delivery service and scooter business is is very same, very much same uh, in my point of view, because you're just doing the reverse way. So delivery, you go to maybe 10 warehouse and then you go to each houses, like tens of thousand houses uh, by trucks. Uh, we're doing the exactly the opposite way. You go to tens of thousands uh, locations to pick up the scooters and then you put it on 10 warehouse. Uh, but anyway, it's the same thing, just uh, the other way around. So it's a logistics business. How do you make a good logistics business? First of all, you need a great team truck and you need to you need to extract the best out of uh, one person so how do we how do i incentivize my first people to do more work with this with the less money so that's uh and at the same time uh, they should uh, work for swing not my competitor yes that scheme and coming out of those scheme and principles are, are much more important than uh decide where to put our scooters because it's just slow if you do with the computer uh with a with a with, with AI, uh, you can do it maybe within a, in an hour. Mm-hmm. But if you do, if you need a person to really monitor, okay, which place is selling well, and it might take a, a week or two 
So it was the so that's that's a big difference, but still, it's not a, not a big difference if you compare a company where you need two people uh, run, uh, riding on a truck and uh, relocating the scooters on the, in the daytime uh, under congestion mm-hmm. versus one person uh, at the nighttime uh, receiving uh, maybe fifty more salary, but doing a double of the jobs. Yes, and. I think that's more important uh, to focus. And I think the, all the, the nice companies uh, with uh, a lot of software people, they, tr- they try to solve the problem in a software way. Mm. I would say yes. software way. But. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is a software way. It is, it's a very interesting one, like watching the companies that have, that have really gone, uh, that have been software heavy and software first in the beginning. And oftentimes it's like, I think they have ended up being overly complex for something that should just be like a, no, just get out and like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a basic operational business. I do think the market is obviously developing a lot. And I, I, I'm curious, you know, um, one of the, a couple of follow-up questions that I have around that is like, so at the moment you have standard 9-bot max scooters. So I assume those are battery swappable, right? Like you, you, you don't have to bring the scooter in to charge. You can like go out and swap batteries. And then two, has there been any interest whatsoever from the, the South Korean government for things like, you know, integrating into public transport passes or effectively like providing additional subsidies for first last mile connections in terms of transit competition? I think it's happening. So the first thing that should be done is to make a make a law to register uh, the companies, uh, the startups, uh, sharing companies. As of now, it's out of control. So, but I think the law will pass in a month. Maybe uh, by the time the podcast is out, uh, the Korean government will pass the law for uh, personal mobility, where we call it personal mobility, not the micro mobility. But it's funny. But anyway, so we will have a new regulation there. So where uh, the, each operator should register and how many scooters and where. And secondly, we are also talking to uh, uh, to the government. The government is actually forcing us, uh, not forcing, we're happy to be forced, but anyway, uh, to include us, micromobility, uh, into a system called TAGO, T-A-G-O. Uh, it's, it's, it's a uh, mass public transportation uh, system, public transportation data system, which is uh, we share all the data of our scooters, so where it's located, how much battery there. And then they, uh, all the mass players, uh, mobility as a service player, so they could uh, use those information to develop their own. Currently, if you come to Korea, it's, it's very, let's say you're waiting for a bus. Uh, you open up a, a uh, map and then you can actually see where the bus is coming, like exactly at the real time. So this, is, uh, this can be done by the government's uh, uh, public transportation system uh, where all the participants happily share their the fleet data, so where is where it is and uh, uh, at what time. And does that include payments and being able to unlock inside of their app and all that sort of stuff? Unfortunately, not yet. So first yes, thing, yeah. uh, sharing, sharing the location first. Nobody's worked out how to do this payments on the mobility as a service platforms. I mean, this is like, I've been, Horace and I have been banging on about this since 2019. Like, this is the <laughs> most logical step, right? Like, have it be that there is, it doesn't really matter who the scooter operator is, that there's just scooters available here that can be integrated into trips you just scan and make them all work. But at the end of the day, it really needs to be a regulator or a government entity that can force that stuff. But, you know, it, it, yeah. it's, it's hard. It's hard to make work. There, there are three things, you know, when things, when business should happen, there should be, first of all, demand. And technically, there should be enough technology, the right technology to do that. And thirdly, the the suppliers. I mean, I, for for that kind of payment system, I think there is like certainly demands, huge demand for like one one payment system for all the devices, for all the mobility services. And secondly, the right technology, we can do it easily, right? Uh, three is there, but the, in terms of supplier, there's too many stakeholders. You know, I try to even, you know, even summing up all these 
scooter players. Like I said, there used to be 20 players in Korea only. Mm. So I, I try to meet them. Uh, hey, uh, I, I'll give you, I'll share uh, my data for free to you. And please, you give me, give me yours. Mm. Uh, then let's just, not, we don't even need to combine the app. Let's just show uh, each other's scooters on each other's app. So that the users can feel, you know, can feel feel barrier less barrier to to find the scooters nearby, and it was really hard. Mm. Nobody, basically, nobody agreed to it. So uh, that's the time where I I learned that oh, oh it's not just demand and, and technology. It's no. about stakeholders. Also, stakeholders. I assume you you came out of that and just said, you know, what I have to do, I have to become the biggest scooter player in the market, so that I just you know everybody yeah. opens their app and they can always get a scooter with me. I hear you. I hear you on that. So. Okay, I want to. I, I'm conscious of time as well, and and, and uh, I'm going to get you for for a few more minutes. So I want to just understand a bit more about how you're thinking about growing the company. So like one of the things that I know that you've you've obviously done, grown from six to twenty to seventy thousand scooters. How much more growth is there? You think in South Korea, and would you look at going overseas? First of all, I think scooter market is almost capped already, uh, naturally capped. So. We have 200,000, so maybe we will have 400 to 500. That's already a huge number, right, compared to the global peers, right? But we're a startup. I need, I want to, and I, there's, uh, the meaning of my existence in this company as a CEO founder is not the management for this, for growth. And I, I'm looking for a growth engine. So there are three pillars that I can grow further. So first of all, it's not scooter anymore. We cannot stay the scooter sharing company. We already expanded to e-bikes and e-mopeds uh, this year. So 10,000 e-bikes are, are adopted and roughly 2,000 e-mopeds are, are here in Korea right now. And and we are trying to do, expand our business to car sharing, EV sharing, mm-hmm. something to charge. And our value is basically maintaining the uh, the electrified vehicles. So, so expand the mobility devices, that's number one. And number two is geographic expansion, just like you mentioned. So we are in Japan right now, uh, still small, 1,000, more, slightly more than 1,000 scooters uh, in Tokyo only. And uh, we are looking for additional markets, uh, not US or not European markets. So we're the uh, we're looking at uh, countries like, uh, like EMEA or countries like Turkey, countries like Eastern Europe, so where uh, the big players are not very much focusing on, but actually mm-hmm. there are some EBITDA positive companies already there. Uh, so uh, we we believe that we can do better than them. It's, it's I hope. It's not. It's a belief and hope. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but still, uh, we, we think uh, we are thinking more about those, those areas, uh, uh, especially when uh, the big players are suffering these very hard uh, this winter time in venture capital, so they they need to pull out from many many uh, from from the global expansion. So I think this is the right opportunity for me to expand and attack uh, to to the the, the places where it's, uh, where we can make money. So global expansion, definitely, we are doing that. We're exploring that, and I think uh, next month we will announce another sec- our second country to enter by uh, an organic way. And thirdly, uh, we are also uh, adopting a new business model uh, in, in inside of uh, inside the mobility place. So I think mobility place. There are three business model. Uh, I carry myself sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I carry you uh, hailing. Yes. I carry things delivery. Yep. So I think uh, the, the the easiest way for us to do is actually delivery market because we are we are, our customers. Uh, some of our customers are already delivery men. So they are using our scooters, mopeds, e-bikes to deliver stuff. So our natural uh, next business model is a delivery platform. So we don't take orders, but we will execute the orders. So, so that's something that we're currently looking at. 
Fantastic. That's, I mean, it feels uh, a logical extension of, 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 of that. Would you be looking to employ your own drivers or delivery uh, folks to do that? Or those would be contracted in and they would simply just use your vehicles in a, for, for that? So it's a, uh, there are a lot of localities uh, in the delivery market as well. So in, it's different in Korea, different in US, different in Europe uh, and Japan. But in case of Korea, where I'm based in, I think we will we will need to hire uh, some employee. We have to internalize maybe the 50% or uh, slightly less than 50% uh, as a delivery man. We need to hire them mm-hmm. to actually fulfill the orders. While we need to keep some gig workers who use our scooters, you know, uh, like a shared model yep. uh, to work for the peak time. So yes. peak time is, is more than double. Uh, yep. When they, when it's uh, when it's raining or it's cold, it goes up easily goes up to double or or, or triple. So we need to have some uh, gig mo- gig worker model. But I don't believe in hundred percent gig model because it's you know you cannot really guarantee the delivery quality. No, no, you can't. And it's also I think the other side of it is that that there's just you end up with uh, real issues with that quality of um supply over time mm. if, if, if they don't have the true 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 if on their on the other side as well it's like for the gig workers it's like that that, that model doesn't necessarily work well long term this has been super fascinating is there anything else that you think i've missed and that you think is interesting about what you're doing no uh i think we covered most of all i think uh, just uh i just want to make a last comment if, if there's any venture capital uh, partners founders Korea is a surprisingly good market uh, to, to make some investment. Uh, please, uh, please, please come come over here and look at the market and look at what's happening, in, especially the mobility service uh, area. Where uh, mobility service is something that I believe uh, uh, it will have. It's a, it's like a tasty food. Uh, if if nice steak is selling well in Europe and US, it's going to sell well in Asia too. I think the mobility service, it's, it, if it's selling well in US and Europe, I think it's going to sell well and in, in very well in, in Asia too. Uh, it's just we, we need some more capital and growth capital here. So, yeah, please come and, and try to see what's happening here. Fantastic. I, well, look, it's so interesting as well. I mean, I, I'd be very curious to hear, like we've got uh, a number of investors who I'll connect you to as well, I think, on the other side of this. But it's just... You know, one of the things that I think has been really notable has been just how burned everybody got with the shared services like Bird and Helbers and uh, Lime and others. You know, like one of the things we've really noted in a lot of our conferences has just been that there was a real overselling of that model in the space and that there was a recognition that like, hey, is this actually super well-placed for venture? I think it's really well-placed for like private equity or some of that other sort of funding. And there's like a number of mobility capital groups that I, I think are really starting to recognize the opportunity that exists in shared, but it's just, you know, it's the hangover of like terribly performing investments in that first round of people who, you know, how do you pick the pioneers? This one's with the arrows in their backs, you know? It, but there are really good businesses uh, that are going to get built in this space, I think, uh, especially in the medium to, to long term. So it's um, yeah, my- uh, it's cool to see that you are obviously building, uh, I think, what, what would be considered like a second generation company in that space. Yeah, yeah. So just to share my, I know it's a, it's a, it's a, I just a bullshit time for 30 seconds or one minute. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, so what do I believe and then for the future of mobility, I think, you know, as of now, until for the past one decade or uh, two decades, it was a platform era. Everybody believed in platforms. So platforms are, it sounds like a magic. Oh, you don't need to carry any assets. You just connect demand and supply and you just try to, you know, you trigger the demands or trigger the supply with some subsidy in the beginning. And 
it will roll by itself and make a lot of money. And if you roll the ball, snowball, and it becomes really big, so big that nobody can enter. And then it's the time when you make profits. It's a bullshit. And nobody mm-hmm. makes money. You will never make money by having those. The, now people are realizing that platforms are, you know, maybe it could work for social network service, but it's not. And they're making money out of advertisement. It's not, it's not something that you can do about it. So I think the future of mobility is on the operator's hands. I totally believe so. I, I saw it uh, uh, from scooter business as well. Please name any scooter company, if you know, that's on the, like, I would say, mass platform. Uh, who's who's selling well? Let's say if I if I if my scooters are put on let's say Uber. Yes. Uh, and do people will download Uber to use Swing scooter? No. People will look for Swing at the app store and then they download Swing app. So it means it shows the power of carrying the assets, uh, even though it's really expensive way to do so. Mm. But if you somehow found the find a way in operational uh, operational leverage uh, or financial leverage to use the capital in an f- efficient way. A uh, carrying asset definitely can win over just a platform. And especially, and there are two trends that makes it more uh, viable for op- operators to win this market. Uh, one is electrification mm. and two is autonom- autonomization. Mm-hmm. Uh, electrification, you, you need operators. You don't want to charge it at home because it takes too much time. Yes. You don't want to maintain it. And secondly, autonomous car, autonomous auto- uh, robot delivery, robot taxi. I mean, you need an operator. You need to. You need someone who should carry on their balance sheet and really maintain it. And if that robo delivery, robo taxis are covered with Swing, people would download Swing app. They will not download Google, not Uber. So, I think the opportunity for for, uh, for mobility market is more on operators. And as a micro mobility mobility service company, I think we have a good start. Mm. We are profitable and we know what electrification means and what operation means and what it's like to carry uh, a heavy asset. So I think, you know, uh, we've tried very at a small scale, we tried financial and operational leverage. And I think I want to do it in a hundred times bigger market, which is uh, robotaxi and robo delivery in the future. Yeah. Uh, amazing. I totally fair points. And, and it's funny. I, um, I don't know if you know this about my background, but I, I joined Uber in 2015 uh, on the back that I assumed we would be the ones that would roll out uh, autonomous taxis. And it was, I think, the wrong model. I agree. Like, they they have not, the, the platform companies, other than Lyft, I think, you know, have, have not really been able to really nail micromobility well. Like, I think Lyft is one of those other com- only companies in the space that has been able to run the PBSC, uh, Divi Bikes and City Bike and uh, Bay Wheels in the US. Um but even that is like a hard thing, a hard shift for them as a company, because it's like when you build a marketplace business like this, it's not necessarily directly translatable. Whereas I agree with you around being able to like know how to run as an operator. Um, a large fleet of things definitely puts you in really good stead for where the future goes with this. Hey, look, I'm really looking forward to more conversations in this space. And and, and um, let's work out how we can have you back on the podcast in a, in, in a year or two uh, when you've got some exciting news to share. Yeah. Thank you, Oliver, uh, for, for inviting me. I really enjoy talking to you. It's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. Hey, yeah. It's really awesome. Love, love the chat. It's too. awesome that you connect people uh, in this micromobility uh, uh, field. It's thank you for, for doing this. I mean, I, it's the impact that you're, 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 uh, you're creating a very positive impact to this industry. I really love to, uh, to hear your, all the podcast, not yet, but I will, I will hear everything from, from the very beginning. Oh, cool. Well, hey, look, I'm looking forward to sharing and and hopefully uh, for having you out in uh, one of our conferences very soon so that other folks can meet you too. 
Yes, thank you. Uh, I will be there. Definitely be there. Thanks, Oliver. Awesome. All right.